The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today is Friday, which means that we are going to continue on our project of having a Friday TSJ Q&A, as long as we have questions, and we do for today. So this question comes to me from a friend who I forgot to ask whether he wants me to mention his name, so I'm not going to mention his name. Uh, and he asks a question which he acknowledges is a very broad question, and I actually like that because you'll see once you hear the question that... We can approach this in many different angles, and it's possible that I'll approach it from one angle this week and another angle in a subsequent week. So here's the question. Based, he says, based purely on listening to your podcast and listening to the teachings of the Stoic thinkers, it's evident that they were ra- that they were rational thinkers who utilized analytical thinking in their philosophy. However, as you say in your podcast, they had their own thoughts on metaphysics, which we as Jews believe to be false. So I guess my question is, how do such intelligent people like the Stoics come to what we would call such false conclusions about how the world works from a metaphysical perspective? Can we chalk it up to, quote, all humans are imperfect and subject to influence of their emotions and their surroundings, end quote? It just seems rather paradoxical that the Stoics in particular, who seem to be able to filter out their emotions so well, would allow themselves to be influenced by emotions in the area of metaphysics. And that is the end of the question. So just to paraphrase, I do mention a lot that my main interest in the writings of the Stoics has to do with their ethics, with how how to live, not their metaphysics, which uh, pertain to theoretical matters, because number one, uh, we have our own metaphysics that we got from Torah, and number two, the Stoics clearly do get a lot wrong. So just as examples, their idea of God, which I'm still not 100% clear on, but it seems like their idea of God is is they believe in a physical God or a God that is somehow elemental, something, something fire, something, something inside man, something, something universe. <laughs> I don't, I don't really know what it is. All I know is that it, when, when you read about them talking about God in the framework of metaphysics, as opposed to practicality uh, and ethics, then, uh, then it's clear that they have a very different belief in God than we do. Another example is, uh, is Hashgacha, is, is divine providence. They do have an idea of divine providence, but it is not ours, uh, and uh, you know some aspects overlap with ours, some don't. Uh, their idea of free will or fate or destiny is something that it was a machlokas within the uh, a disagreement within the Stoic school itself. We've touched upon that with Marcus Aurelius. So there are a lot of issues uh, which which we would differ with. So the question is basically, where did they go wrong? Is this just normal human nature uh, and uh, and the fact that people are subject to their uh, emotional influences? And if so, then would we expect the Stoics to to have greater a greater success rate because they were aware of the influence of their emotions, or is there something else? So, again, we can approach this question in many ways. My mind immediately went to Sadigon's introduction to Emunus Videos. Now, if you haven't read the introduction to Emunus Videos, I highly recommend reading it in its, in, in its entirety. I was tempted to quote lots from it when answering this question, but I had to kind of narrow it down to one passage. So, Sadigon in the introduction section six, and I'm using right here the um, the Yale English translation. Uh, Yale University Press. Uh, I don't actually have my Kafech Arabic translation, so I, I can't I can't check uh, the Hebrew here. So I'm I'm just relying on the translation. So this is in the introduction section six, and Sadigon raises the question. Uh, he says, 
Inasmuch as all matters of religious belief, as imparted to us by our master, with a capital M, can be attested by means of research and correct speculation, what was the reason that prompted divine wisdom to transmit them to us by way of prophecy and support them by means of visible proofs and miracles rather than intellectual demonstrations? So his question basically is that of the areas in Torah, in religious belief, that can be arrived at through philosophical speculation, through research, investigation— meaning without relying on prophecy. So why did God give the Torah in the form of prophecy, uh, which was supported by, by miracles and, uh, you know, at, at Harsinai and such? In other words, why, why didn't God just let us figure it out on our own? So here is his answer. To this question, we should like to give, with the help of God, exalted be he, an adequate answer. We say then that the all-wise knew that the conclusions reached by means of the art of speculation could be attained only in the course of a certain measure of time. If, therefore, he had referred us for our acquaintance with his religion to that art alone, we would have remained without religious guidance, for whatever, for a while, until the process of reasoning was completed by us so that we can make use of its conclusions. But many a one of us might never complete the process because of some flaw in his reasoning. Again, he might not succeed in making use of its conclusions because he is overcome by worry or overwhelmed by uncertainties that confuse and befuddle him. That is why God, exalted and magnified be he, afforded us a quick relief from all these burdens by sending us his messengers through whom he transmitted messages to us, and by letting us see with our own eyes the signs and proofs supporting them about which no doubt could prevail and which we could not possibly reject. Thus he said, ye yourselves have been, have, sorry, have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. That's in in Shemos, Exodus 20, 19. Furthermore, he addressed his messenger in our presence, that's Moshe Rabbeinu, and made it an obligation to believe us to believe him forever. As he said, this is from Shemos 19.9, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and may also believe thee forever. Thus, it became incumbent upon us immediately to accept the religion together with all that was embraced in it because its authenticity had been proven by the testimony of the senses. Its acceptance is also incumbent upon anybody to whom it has been transmitted because of the attestation of authentic tradition, as we shall explain. How God commanded us to take our time with our speculation until we would arrive at the self same conclusions, we must, wait, hold on just one second. Uh, looks like my scanner got that line wrong. Let me just look this up and make sure I know what the actual line says. Sorry about that. So, oh, now, now God commanded us to take our time with our speculation until we would arrive thereby at these self-same conclusions. We must therefore persevere in this standpoint until the arguments in favor of it have become convincing for us. And we feel compelled to acknowledge God's Torah that has already been authenticated by what our eyes have seen and what our ears have heard. So then, even if it should take a long time for any one of us, for, for one of us who indulges in speculation to complete his speculation, he is without worry. He who is held back from engaging in such an activity by some impediment will then th not remain without religious guidance. Furthermore, women and young people and those who have no aptitude for speculation can thus also have a perfect and accessible faith, for the knowledge of the senses is common to all men. Praised then be the all-wise who ordered things thus. Therefore, too, dost thou often see him include in the Torah the children and the women together with the fathers whenever miracles and marvels are mentioned." So to summarize, again, the question is, if you can figure things out with your own mind, so then why did God give the Torah, which has all these beliefs, which are authenticated by, by what we call you know, the, the uh, proof of Torah Sinai or the revelation at Sinai, which was through miracles, not through philosophical and intellectual demonstrations. So why did, he, why did God do that? And Sadiqon's answer essentially is 
is expediency or, uh, you know, if you want to put it in that way, which is that, yeah, God could have left us to our own devices, but what would be the problem? The problem is number one, it would take a very long time to arrive at, at the truth. Uh, and, and if you compound that with the various errors that Saadi Gon mentions earlier in this introduction, namely the fact that people are unacquainted with the methods of, of, of reasoning and, uh, and evidence and argumentation and logic, or the fact that even if you do know those methods, then you might not complete them, you might take shortcuts, or the fact that there are so many different directions you can go and and you can fall into error. Uh, you know, he says, for example, that, just one second, he gives a good analogy here. Yeah, he says uh, there is, uh, lastly, among them, the type of person who for a while follows one system of thought and then abandoned it on account of some flaw he had noticed in it. So he transfers to another system from which he also withdraws on account of some point which he rejects. Then he passes on still to another for a while, but gives it up, gives it up again on account of something in it which made it reprehensible to him. And so he remains all unsettled all his life. Such a one might be compared to a person who wishes to go to a certain city, but does not know the road leading to it. Consequently, he walks a parsang along one highway and hesitates. Then he turns back and walks a parsang along another highway and he hesitates. And so turns once more and repeats this procedure on a third and a fourth highway. So in other words, there are lots and lots of, of, of wrong directions that you can go in. And, uh, and so this is only talking about on the level of an individual. An individual can be beset by all these troubles, but think then of the entire species or, or you know, the community, you know, the Jewish people, is we would be groping in the darkness for a very long time. And in order to save us from all of that, Saadi argues, God gave us the Torah with all of the correct ideas in it and authenticated them through something which is accessible to everybody, which is through the senses, through the event at Harsina where we witnessed Hashem speaking to Moshe and therefore that established Moshe Rabbeinu as an authority and vouched for everything inside the Torah itself. And then our task is basically to learn from the Torah. And then when we want to, or when we're ready to authenticate everything ourselves through philosophical speculation, we could do that at our own pace without having to worry that we're going to go off track. Now that is a little he makes it sound a little easier than it really is, because obviously there is a lot of dispute as to how to interpret what is in the Torah. So it's not like once you have the Torah, then you just look up the answers, so to speak. There's a lot there. And furthermore, there's the fact that even if we have access to the answers, so to, speak, you know, to, to the ideas, to the truth, then we still have to come to terms with it and we have to figure out how to apply it and how how to to make meaning out of it in a way that that affects the way that we live. Uh, this reminds me of something that Seneca writes in letter number 64, subtitled On the Philosopher's Task. So he's talking here also about the legacy of inheriting ideas from our predecessors. And he says, I worship the discoveries of wisdom and their discoverers. To enter, as it were, into the inheritance of many predecessors is a delight. It was for me that they laid up this treasure. It was for me that they toiled. But we should play the part of a careful householder. We should increase what we have inherited. This inheritance shall pass from me to my descendants larger than before. Much still remains to do, and much will always remain. And he who shall be born a thousand ages hence will not be barred from his opportunity of adding something further. So, so far what Seneca is saying basically is, yeah, we got a lot from our predecessors, but there's still more to be gained. Okay, but now he makes this point, which is similar to what Saadi is saying. He says, but even if the old masters have discovered everything, one thing will always be new, the application and the scientific study and classification of the discoveries made by others. 
Assume that prescriptions have been handed down to us for the healing of the eyes. There is no need of my searching for others in addition. But for all that, these prescriptions must be adapted to the particular disease and to the particular stage of the disease. Use this prescription to relieve granulation of the eyelids, that to reduce the swelling of the lids, this to prevent a sudden pain or rush of tears, that to sharpen the vision. Then compound these several prescriptions, watch for the right time of their application, and supply the proper treatment in each case. The cures for the spirit have also have been discovered by the ancients, but it is our task to learn the method and the time of treatment. So we can use this analogy. Again, well, let me summarize first. He's saying we still have a lot to discover in the area of, for example, medicine. But let's say we had all of the correct remedies handed down to us by the ancients. We would still have to figure out how to apply them. And then he says the same thing for matters of spirit. And I would say the same thing for matters of Torah, which is even though we have Torah Mycenae and we have access in the form of 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 Moshe Rabbeinu's Nevuah and the Nevuah of the Nevi'im, you know, the prophecy of all the prophets, even if we have access to all of the truths, in a sense, that doesn't help us to just arrive at the truth. We still have to grapple with these truths. We still have to understand what they mean and how to apply them and come to terms with them on our own. You know, just because it says something in the Torah does not mean that you understand it clearly or that you're convinced of it. So you have this guidepost there that, you know that this has been vouched for by the events at Harsinai, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that you you suddenly just have the truth and that you could just you know go on your merry way. You have to understand it and 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 be convinced of it of your uh, of your own mind. And you might be un- misunderstanding it. You you might you might be embracing something that you think is what God said, and really it's not because you're misunderstanding what the words of the Torah mean. So there's still a lot of work to remain, and uh, and therefore it's not so. It's not so easy, uh, but it, it, we are immeasurably benefited by having access to all of these truths contained in Torah. So that's my answer to, the, to that question for today. Uh, I guess I didn't really get to the part about how the Stoics uh, were presumably more advantaged than other people in the sense that they were aware of their emotions. But I, I would add that, yeah, that might provide them with an advantage, but there's there's still so many directions that you can go wrong in matters of metaphysics and, uh, and, and there, and, and that would be true for us as well. You know, we, 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 I think we're all in the same boat here as, as, uh, as the species of, of rational animals. All right. Maybe I'll come back to this question, uh, in the future, but that's it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today and would like to support my production of even more, of even more Torah content, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Link is in the description. And uh, if you would be so kind as to submit questions, that is also a way to contribute to this podcast. Uh, I, I Again, I would like to do this every Friday, and uh, I would like to have enough questions that I don't have to scramble for something late in the week. So uh, please ask questions about Stoicism, about Judaism, about practical applications of the ideas we learn here, about pretty much anything that can be related in some way to this podcast, and I will... I would love to address it on Fridays. Thank you to my listeners for listening, and thank you to my patrons for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.